ask you to stand with me one more time today. I'm starting a new series today. This is found in the book of James, New Testament epistle. It's a general epistle, meaning uh, that it wasn't just written to a city church like Colossae or Corinth or Ephesus, but it's written to the diaspora. It's written to all of those that are sent out over the nations. Um, we're starting a new series today called Pure Religion. We're going to try to redeem the word religion that normally is associated right now in our day with a lot of negativity. We're going to talk about that a little bit. So find one of the screens, wherever it's comfortable for you, and let's read together out loud. Here we go. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. I want you to pray with me right now if you would. Father, thank you for this day, for the opportunity to do what we just did. Lord, to come together as a community of faith, a family of believers of like precious, precious faith. Lord, where we have the same care one for another. Lord, those that are weak, we lift up. Those that are sick, we minister to them to comfort them. Lord, we all uh, stir each other up as the day approaches to remember to to gather together and to do what you've called us to do. Thank you for the example of Micah that demonstrates before us that out of a life of being in grace that we step out and do in obedience to God. We ask you, Lord, that you would just Holy Spirit move and open our eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Lord, do a work in someone's life this morning that good preaching can't accomplish, that, that excellent teaching uh, uh, won't uh, transform, but the gospel does. The work of the Holy Spirit does what no man can do. And I just confess right now that that's your job. Help me to do the very best I can and let it bring glory to you. We'll be careful to give you all the praise in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Um, I had the first service read the text with me for the message and I just wanted to go ahead and give you a break, a little bit different flow, a little differently this morning. Uh, James chapter 1, we've got about 10 or 11 verses here. Just read along with me. I'll read it out loud. It says, Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose. Say those two words with me. He chose. He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word. And we, out of all creation, became His prized possession. That's what God thinks about you this morning. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Wow. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. Good word. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Everybody say do. do. Otherwise you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, everybody say those two words, perfect law. Everybody say the perfect law is God's word. So we're talking about the whole of the Bible, all scripture given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. The perfect law. The perfect law that sets you free. 
If you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for what? Doing. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, there's still a blessing on, on obedience. Okay? Now look at this. We've got a little bit of caveat here, a little bit of a warning. If you claim to be what? Religious. Okay? If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and you're what? Your religion is worthless. A lot of folks say, he got religion. Well, time will tell whether it's legitimate or not. Okay? Then we're back to our series text, four messages for the month of January to kick off 2014. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. All right, I, I want to sit today and I want to really be a little bit more conversational than preachy. I think that we are living in a day when just the word religion has become very negative. It, it, it has a pejorative sense to it. Um, without going political, um, we're not talking Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, or any of that stuff because we have people in this church that are different places on that spectrum and the kingdom of God is bigger than all of that. Somebody, somebody said, thank you, Jesus. Okay. So we are recognizing, though, that we're in a day where what our grandparents grew up in and just sort of assumed to be common sense is not so common anymore. Um, we had a generation of people in the planting generation in the 1600s referred to as Puritans, pilgrims, who came for different reasons than some of the other nations who were colonizing. The Spanish were looking for gold. The French were looking for fur. Uh, in the north, uh, a, a number of other countries, the Dutch were looking for trade and established what we know as New York today. First was New Amsterdam the New Netherland region. Um, the English really came for a very different reason whatsoever and landed in Plymouth and in the Massachusetts Bay Colony and they were coming for the purpose of an, a holy experiment. Um, one of the governors, Winthrop, preached a sermon when they got off the ship, off the Mayflower, and quoted the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said that we were to build or be a city on a hill, uh, a, a light of the world, a city on the hill which cannot be hidden. Uh, we, we know that city is the church in Scripture. The first generation, the planting generation, was without a doubt here for religious freedom and reasons of establishing and building the kingdom of God in the new world. 150 years transpired and uh, the Enlightenment had hit and... Uh, deism had begun to creep into the belief system of Europe, especially in the intellectuals, the academics in New America and colonial America. And we have a number of founders that no longer believed in the Trinity and were real true gospel-believing Christians, but were embracing this kind of a deistic belief of a creator God who's uninvolved. He just sort of makes everything, winds up the clock and steps back and watches it all sort of run down until the end but he's uninvolved. He's not working all things together for your good. He's just sort of the distant observer. Um, at the point of the Enlightenment, religion really took a hard kick in the shins and reason sort of was elevated and put on the throne. 
Uh, it was the elevation of science. It was the dethroning of faith. Since that time in America, we have been wrestling with the place of the gospel and the place of Jesus Christ. Every state convention, every state constitution in the United States of America has written into it a belief in a creator God. And without a doubt, the vast majority of them talk about a Christian God. And yet we're in a nation right now where what we're doing this morning is becoming more and more despised. And it's becoming more and more uh, ridiculed. I really believe that, uh, first of all, let's, let me say, uh, I don't want to offend anybody because eschatology is a non-essential. It won't make a difference in, in whether you're saved or not. It just makes a difference in how you live for the future. Um, we've heard so many times rapture dates that have been set, and guess what? We woke up today in a brand new year in 2014, and according to most of those hooligans who keep writing their books and selling their tapes and CDs and just reinventing new prophecy charts and identifying new antichrists, and they just keep selling them to a whole new generation of gullible, uneducated, biblically illiterate Christians. Maybe that's a little too hard. I'm sorry. Um, and so they keep setting all these dates, and then here we are, and the church is sort of just lulled into a place of sleep, not doing what she is called to do. We are called to do uh, what, what Mike is doing. Now, some of you can't go, but we're called to go into the world. That doesn't mean that you have to get on a plane and go to Atlanta and then fly to Africa, but it means as you are going into the world, into your job on Monday morning, that you're carrying a disciple-making vision. You realize that as the church, you are sent to advance the kingdom of God. You are sent to be light in darkness. You are sent to be salt in the midst of a corrupt generation and a wicked world all around you. I'm preaching real good. Somebody ought to be saying amen. I know I'm not up and jumping and waving arms, but it's still got a little edge to it. Holy Ghost is in the room this morning. Uh, somewhere along the way, the, you know, the word religion really took on a negative, and a pejorative kind of an idea, and it really became kind of a system. Um, I, I'm rejecting the, the, the desire because I love to teach. That's, the, that's why, besides helping me pay for my kids' school, uh, I supplement what I make for the church by, by teaching a couple of history classes, and one of them is world civilizations. And when we start talking about civilization, one of the critical characteristics that comes into play is social stratification, uh, identification of classes, but even ahead of that is the development of some kind of religious system where you have a, a priestly class and you have an identified God and you are offering sacrifices or rituals or ceremonies that are based on a set of beliefs in terms of what will make that God happy. Um, nations around the world in world civilization, world history deal with this whole concept of polytheism, many gods, monotheism, one god. The, the three great monotheistic religions are all connected to one source, and that is they have in common the ancestor of Abraham. Abraham, who is the father of our faith as Christians, the father of the Jewish faith, and the Muslims, the Islamic people, also make a connection to and claim a connection to Abraham as well. All three of those religions believe in one god, not multiple gods, but one god, one supreme being. So as they put up Religion defined, if you Google it, uh, you'll see a little, uh, it's a little bit small. I hope you can kind of squint and see that. Um, religion, it's like a dictionary entry right there. Everybody say religion. Okay, so if you can see that, it's a noun. It's the belief in and worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal God, capital G, 
or God's little g. Now, as a Christian this morning, as an Orthodox Christian, as a believer in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, uh, we, we don't believe in multiple gods. There is one God. Hear, O Israel, for the Lord our God is one. He, Deuteronomy 6.4. But we know that he is, he is God in three persons. He is Trinity, a made-up word that's not in the Bible because we don't know how to put this together. We, we, we understand that He's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And to be able to get our mind around that, we've coined a phrase that says He's, he's one, but He's also three, but He's not three separate. He's all one, and He's three in one. And so that's why we use the word Trinity. And so this morning, we, we begin from this standpoint. We do not want to get caught up in the pursuit of trying to appease an angry God. Because let me just tell you, God your Father is not angry. All of the anger and wrath that should have been yours and mine got poured out on Jesus at the cross 2,000 years ago. He was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of your peace was upon Him. And by His stripes you are healed. Somebody say amen. amen. That's the promise of God. Uh, Peter grabs that in his epistle in 1 Peter 2.24 and he repeats what Isaiah, the prophet, 53.5 says. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the just suffered for the unjust. When we talk about real, true, biblical Christianity, we're talking about what James says, pure religion undefiled. That which is accepted and gets the attention of the heart of the Father is this. It is moving out of a being that produces a doing. It is a grace-based, gospel-oriented kind of relationship and not just a set of demands or commandments. There's a difference in being law-driven where you actually think the way a Pharisee had become accustomed to thinking up to Jesus' day. They were the, probably the most fundamentalist religious, and I use it in the negative sense of the word, religious group in the face of Jesus and they stirred up trouble everywhere they went. They were constantly questioning, constantly challenging His authority. Well, what about this? And Jesus always had a proper answer for them, but always responded with the grace of God. And what I want you to see is that we are not here pro uh, proposing or putting out uh, religion in the negative sense where you have to do this set of things so that you can earn the favor of God. As a Christian, uh, we, we, we don't really embrace this concept of religious advice. Religion is about advice. It's self-help as if you'll do this, basically then you can make the God that you're serving happy. And the gospel is not advice. The gospel is news. Euangelion means good news. News is not advice. News is a statement of fact of something that has already happened. Everybody say, it's finished. It's done. At Victory, we preach the finished work of Christ. It is the work of God that was done through Christ at Calvary 2,000 years ago. Your acceptance by God, your favor from the Lord that you now enjoy, is not based on how many commandments you kept or didn't break this week but it's based on what Jesus Christ has already done and accomplished 2,000 years ago, and He's given you a carte blanche. He's included you on His Diners Club account, on His American Heavenly Express, whatever, and, and, and you, you are, you're co-signers with Him on the check on the Bank of Heaven. 
Jesus Christ has already signed His name and you put yours on in faith. The promises of God to you are yes and through Him by the church they're amen. So we rise up and say so be it, amen, to everything that Jesus has already said yes to. That's the blessing of God. That's the favor of the Lord. So a little bit of an of a, of a, uh, introduction this morning. I have, I have 12 action statements that I want to give you and I'm going to try to knock these out literally in about a minute and a half. Let's see if I can do that. Do you think it's possible? Here we go. Action steps. Look at your neighbor and say, take action. Here we go. Number one, recognize your source. Everybody, who is your source? All right, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. We had a strange thing happen in first service. Um, I've come to find out that this was actually the first edition, and then what we give you now is actually an updated better one. And so... What I was reading didn't line up with what was on the screen, and now it is. So I'm going to make that clear. <coughs> we give these to everybody who makes a fresh start here at Victory. Listen to verse 17. It says, Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. So you recognize your source. Everything that is good in your life right now is a product of the grace of God that is poured out upon you, not because you've worked to earn it, because Jesus Christ has already paid for it. Say with me one more time, it is done. Say it's paid for. Okay, so what God is giving you right now, the breath in your body that you woke up with this morning is a gift of the grace of God. It's a good and it's a perfect gift. And the fact that you have vision and some hope in your heart and, and the desire to take a step in faith and break an addiction or establish a new good habit in 2014, those are gifts from God. Well, Pastor, you just don't realize how hard I've worked. Okay, well, that's fine. Just remember who gave you the strength to get up out of the bed to carry out the work, who gave you the idea that started the business, who put that creativity in your heart. All of these things originate with God who is the source, who is the provider. Come on, somebody. Help me a little bit this morning. Number two, think biblically. Everybody say, think biblically. Verse 18, He chose... Who chose? Everybody say, He chose. Listen to this. He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true Word. And we, out of all creation became His prized possession. We've got to learn to think biblically about our relationship to God. I remember a few years ago, as everybody was talking about how I, I found Jesus. And, and you know, that's not biblical because He's not the one that was lost. <laughs> I was. Uh, it's important that we realize, you know something, uh, you didn't have any more to do with your spiritual birth than you did your natural one. Your mom and daddy loved each other and, and, and out of that love relationship uh, a seed was planted and uh, a sperm fertilized an egg and an embryo came and it started growing and it matured and, and God put breath in you when you exited the womb of your mother's body and, and, and guess what happened? You, you had a destiny that was planted on you. You didn't choose the color of your eyes. You didn't choose where you were born. You didn't choose the family you were born into or your personality or your giftings or your, your, your traits or any of your genes or any of that natural stuff. It was all chosen for you. He chose. Acts 17 says, you know, God planted us right where we are. I, I'll just be honest with you. God didn't ask me before I was born where I wanted to be because if He did, I wouldn't have chosen, don't get offended, I wouldn't have chosen West Memphis, Arkansas. Good to see you, Lucky. I Don't be offended. I mean, I'm just saying if I had a choice, I probably would have chosen maybe Waikiki or... Um, 
maybe Colorado Springs. Um, I don't know. I'm just thinking of some places that I might like to live. But that was chosen for me. I remember my smart mouth as about a 14-year-old in my daddy's face. And nobody ever, you know, we, we were, I was a young man. He was pressing my, my boundaries and trying to stretch my wings a little bit. And he, he put up with a little bit. Nobody ever came to blows. Nobody ever struck anybody in that regard. But I had a mouth and he tried a couple times to yank that tongue out. And I said to him with a very smart mouth one day, I said, I didn't choose to be a part of this family. He said, no, and if you had, I'd have told you no. <laughs> Daddy didn't have a lot of formal education, but he was smart. It was scary. I mean, Dewey and I could be doing stuff, and he would like, no, you know. I mean, just mama. Mama would be praying. Daddy would know. It is, it's crazy. And I'm so thankful for that kind of parenting. I'm thankful that, that God chose. He put me into the family that I was born into. In the very same way, you didn't just wake up and say, okay, I think I'm going to be born again today. Too much of Southern churchianity is what we call transactional religion. You think because you prayed the right prayer and said the right words that all of a sudden you're saved. This work of salvation is clearly and only the work of the Holy Ghost. No preacher is good enough to preach you into heaven or preach you out of hell. And I'm a pretty good preacher, but I can't preach you out of hell and I can't preach you into heaven. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit alone. You are born not of the will of flesh, nor of the blood, nor of man, but of the will of God. Hallelujah. We learn to think biblically. He chose us. Look here, I said a minute and a half and I've been going seven on that one point. <laughs> Forgive me. I really don't mean to be a liar. I, I, I really am trying. Look here. Number three, get a real picture of what God thinks of you. Verse 18, and we out of all creation became His prized possession. Bless the hearts of too many people that sitting in Southern Churchianity feel services this morning where a preacher basically doesn't do anything but the same message sort of just with a little bit of different kind of a sauce or a spiritual herb sprinkled over it. It's the same thing. It's kind of John 3.16 warmed over. And a group in a, in a church that's largely truly born again gets told every Sunday, you ain't no good. You would think Linda Ronstadt was leading the choir. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I'm dating myself right now. You no good. Come on. You no good. Baby, you no good. Second verse. I'm going to sing it again. Come on, help me. You no good. You no good. Baby, you no good. You're going to hell in a handbasket and you're going to split it wide open and you get beat up every Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, born again, blood-bought, new creation, transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Believers filling a room here over and 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 over again, over and over and over and over again, how awful and low down and no good they are and guess what, everybody's going to sin a little bit and guess what you do, the word goes out because it's been planted in you like a seed and you've heard that thing. And I want to go, do you guys even think the new creation even has any merit? Does it really bring any change? I'm not ignoring the presence of sin in my life, but I'm telling you I'm not what I used to be. I'm not yet what I'm going to be, but I'm not what I used to be. And I'm growing, I'm progressing, I'm changing. God has His hand on me and He is not going to let go. Hallelujah! Help me, Holy Spirit. So get a real picture of what God thinks of you. It says right here, you became His prized possession. 
you know what? Some of you this morning are sitting here and you're just dealing with this kind of an angry God. He is Gandalf on Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and he's on the brow of the hill watching everything you do, waiting for you to miss it. And he's going to zap you yep. with his cosmic wand. And he's going to blow you up and mess you up and just, you know, throw a monkey in all of your wrench, in the monkey wrench and all your machinery and all your plans because, because you missed it this week. Oh, my goodness, I want to get you set free from that wrong mindset and help you know that if God had a refrigerator in his kitchen, your picture would be on it. Now, a couple of you believe that. The rest of you went, oh, no, I don't know. If God had a refrigerator... Your picture would be on it. That's how much he loves you. You are his prized possession. He's crazy about you. Get a real picture of what God thinks of you. Are you hearing me this morning? Number four, in the middle of all this, when stuff does go wrong, keep your emotions in check. Let's look at verses 19 and 20. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. My daddy stopped me one time in a really mouthy period of my life, and he said, son, don't you know you have two ears and one mouth? And I said, yes, sir, I do. And he said, well, you know what that means? And I said, I guess you're about to tell me, dad. And he said, well, it means you ought to be listening twice as much as you're talking. And son, I predict that's going to be a problem for you in your life. That's my dad again. So. We ought to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and definitely slow to get angry. You cannot gear yourself up in the beginning of a new year and produce enough self-willed, white-knuckling anger to say, I'm going to break that bad habit. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to get drinking in order. I, I, I'm going to lose some pounds. I'm going to clean up my nasty mouth. I'm going, whatever it is, I'm going to read the Bible through. It's not all about negative habits that we want to break. It's about establishing good ones. Any of that that you do, if you do it and it lasts, it will be because you get a revelation of the grace of God who loves you whether you do or not. He loves you just like you are, but He loves you too much to leave you just like you are. Holy Spirit, convict us this morning of that. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We, we have some spiritual masochists in the South that think they haven't been to church unless hellfire is preached so hot and they leave with bloody toes because, man, he, he, stepped, he really preached this morning. He just, my toes were bloody when I left. You know what? I can, I can leave good feeling encouraged and don't have to leave in a bloody pulp. Are you hearing me? I, I, the Spirit of God can convict me and know me, show me what needs to change, and I can be encouraged. I can recognize that I'm nothing apart from Him. and He is everything. I'm nothing. And in the middle of all of that, I don't have to just, you know, leave just absolutely beat to death. There are too many wife abusers in some of the pulpits of America, and they're beating up on the bride of Christ. That one kind of wiggled out the door. I'm going to stand up to emphasize the point. There are far too many wife beaters in the pulpits of some of the churches in America who beat the bride of Christ. Every week, every week, instead of loving and cherishing. Yes, there are times for corrective and for instructive words that are to come from the pulpit, but it ought to come out of a love for those people that is so absolutely bathed in baptizing that whole message that people receive it and hear it and understand that it's coming from the love of Christ Himself. Somebody say amen. All right, keep your emotions in check. 
You, you can't get out your whips and chains and your daggers and beat yourself and make yourself conform to the righteousness of God. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Only the finished work of Jesus will do that work. Somebody say amen. amen. Number five, be proactive with sin. Are you getting anything out of this? Here we go. Look here, number tw verse 21. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. How are you going to do that? Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. The same gospel that saved me from hell can save me into life. It can save me from a bad habit. It can set me free and deliver me as I stay in the word, as I continue in the word, the Bible says, that I'm his disciple. All right? Uh, Number six, receive the powerful word. Just take hold of it. The word itself, what's being preached this morning, if you have the ability to have a spiritual ear to hear, that's because God's already breathed into your heart and given you spiritual perception. Jesus' most quoted statement in the New Testament, in the Gospels, was, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Everybody on the hill out there, listening to the Sermon on the Mount, had these little flapping pieces of flesh on the side of their heads. So he had to be talking about something else. Do you have a spiritual faculty of perception? Can you hear the voice within the voice? Can you hear the words that are underneath the words? Can you, can you hear something that is spoken generally, but the Holy Spirit moves and works and applies it specifically and individually to your heart and life? That's when I know that I've really hit a home run. It's not the amens, but it's when people line up to say, God spoke to me during that message, and I'll have 25 different people say different things. They all heard the same message, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit that can take that and personalize it and individualize it in your life. Hallelujah. Receive the powerful word. Number seven, hear and do to prevent deception. Verse 22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. This is so important that we recognize that, that, that God demands that it's not just some easy believism. We, we are not saved by our works, but we still have works. This is something that uh, many times since the Reformation people have misunderstood because a lot of religion teaches you that if you work hard enough that, that your good works will outweigh your bad breaking of the law. And that has nothing to do with the truth of the gospel. But it does not mean that now that I'm in grace that I can just live willy-nilly and do whatever I want to. It doesn't mean that I should not be pursuing godly things that the Lord commands in the Scripture that I should be participating in. Okay? Martin Luther said it this way. He said, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves us does not remain alone. Let's say it one more time. We are saved by faith alone. And specifically, the whole formula is, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We believe in grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, at victory. Okay, That's the gospel right there. That is, we are justified by grace through faith, not anything that we do. But that doesn't mean that now I shouldn't have good works that should follow that faith. That I should live out of gratitude, not to get gold stars on my heavenly report card from God, but to recognize out of gratitude, you saved me. You've 
birthed me into a whole new life. You've set me on a whole fresh path. You've delivered me from darkness. And, and, and I'm going to show forth the praises of Him who has called me out of darkness into His marvelous light. And you've, you've changed me. You've delivered me. You've set me free. I was once this, but now I'm this. I once was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was an addict, but now I've been delivered. Hallelujah. That's the testimony of people sitting here in one of the two services that we have on Sunday morning of the delivering power and the presence of God. I'm thankful for that. But we have to hear the Word and do it. It's critical that we don't just hear and think that because we can pronounce the theological concept that we own it. Because knowledge of a thing is not the same as possession of it. The knowledge of a thing, I, I, I can give you, I can quote a Reformed theologian, I can give you the Greek, I can give you the tense, I, I, I can teach you a concept, put it in a nice little acronym, but that doesn't mean that I'm living it out of my life. I can give you five Greek words for love this morning, but whether or not I really have love depends on how I treat you, how we treat each other. We're trying to build a community of faith here where there is the same care one for another. We lift up the weak and strengthen them. We, we minister too for the healing of the sick when they're in need. We, we come alongside and encourage the discouraged and the depressed. And we exhort those that might be a little bit comfortable and lazy and to stir us all up to remember the day that is approaching, as the Bible says. So we have to hear and do. Everybody say hear and do. Hear and do to prevent deception. Number eight, learn how to properly use the mirror of the Word. Look at this. Verse 21. For if you listen to the Word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. Now... 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. The New King James says, We're beholding it in a mirror. James 1 here says, The mirror is the Word. Okay, so as I open the Bible, I go looking to see who I am, what manner of man I am. My determination can come from one of two perspectives. Religion will give me the idea that I go to the Word to see how low down no good of a sinner I am. But if I've been born again, if I realize now that He chose to birth us by His true Word, let me give you a confirming scripture, 1 Peter 1.23, being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the Word of God which lives and abides forever. That means that the DNA of God is on the inside of you. You have a new life. You have been reborn. No man can enter the kingdom of God. He can't even see the kingdom of God except he be born again. John 3, verses 3 and 7 tell us that. You've got to be born again. Okay? Every one of you in the room has been born naturally, but the issue is have you been born again? Have you been born spiritually? Now, you didn't have any more to be involved with that spiritual one than you did that natural. And yes, you come alive and you see and you sense and you make a choice and you say, God, I turn to you and I repent. Forgive me of my sins. But the Holy Spirit already woke you up out of your spiritual death so you could even see that you were a sinner. Now that you're a saint of God and every book in the New Testament calls you that, Far too many preachers never do take the time to educate the people of God to let them know that now you are a saint in Christ. Greek word, hagios. I always think of my favorite ice cream, hagendos, when I think of the Greek word hagios. That holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. That's the word hagios when the angel spoke to Mary, said that Jesus was going to be a holy thing. It's hagios. So 
there's something holy on the inside of you. Well, you just don't know what I struggle with this week. Well, go back to the mirror and remember who you are now. Don't live out of who you used to be. My, my mama's told me more than once. She said, I don't care what the Joneses do down the street, but you're a Smith and we don't act that way. You've got to live like who you are. Now, we have to have enough grace so that when sinners walk into this church that we love them and we throw our arms around them and we let the Holy Spirit do what only He can do and He births them into the kingdom of God. And guess what? Sinners are going to sin. And babies who have just come into the kingdom of God are, are really just growing up and are going to make some messes and we have to have grace and love on them. How many are thankful that God's grace has covered you as you've continued to grow? Come on, somebody. All right? But you don't go now looking for how awful and low down and ugly you are. You go looking for Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 says that there are only two men in the earth. Adam and Christ. You're part of one of two great, big, huge, gigantic families. 1 Corinthians 15 says, In Adam all die. Does anybody know what it says after that? In Christ shall all be made alive. So the question this morning, everybody in the room is, has been in Adam. But are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, then you're a new creature and the old has gone and the new has come. And you're no longer looking for a resemblance between you and your natural father, but now you're looking for a resemblance between you and your heavenly father. When you go to the mirror of the word, guess what happens? My son is 25. He will be 26 uh, on the 15th of this month. And the more he grows, the more, bless his heart, he looks like his dad. He looks like me. And he's maturing. He's growing up. Manly features about him. And why should we ever think that the same doesn't happen as we grow in our lives and our walk in Christ? You are big, the Bible says you've borne the image of the earthly. So you shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So when you go to the mirror of the word, you don't go to get to beat yourself up. You go to say, Father, show me Christ so that if I see Him, I can be changed into that same image and I can put the old behind me and I can put on the new. I think that's clicking for a couple of people in here because you, we, we wrestle with the fact that we are in between the now and the not yet. Okay, I'm not yet what I'm going to be, but Lord knows I sure am not what I used to be. I have been saved, I am being saved, and I shall be saved. Okay, My spirit was saved when He justified me in a moment. Now I'm walking out a line called sanctification where every day I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. But there comes another point in time where it'll happen in a, in, the, in a twinkling of an eye. The Bible says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be. For we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. When you look upon His face, the Bible says that's called glorification. You were justified in one moment, saved. If you died right then, you would be in the presence of Jesus. But guess what? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be, and I'm being sanctified, and I'm growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. But thank God there's a hope in my heart that someday I'm going to see Him, and I'm going to look Him in the eye. And in that moment of, of understanding and the eye opening, I'm going to be changed and transformed. And this vile body shall be subdued and this mortal will put on immortality and thank God in the kingdom I'll have a 32 waist. Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't have scripture for that, but that's just... That's my theology and if you don't believe it, you can get over it. <laughs> I'm having fun and I'm trying to keep you awake because I'm trying to finish this. Are you getting anything out of this today? Blah. The rest of this message will be in tongues. <laughs> Got it all tangled up here.
Number nine, fix your gaze on the new man. I just preached that. What are you looking at when you go to the mirror of the word? Look for Christ. The, the mystery that's been hidden for ages and generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, Colossians 1.27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hello, Christ. Now, I'm not saying you're Jesus, but Christ is a many-membered man of which Jesus is the head and we are the body. And I'm looking at the sent body of Christ. Maybe that makes you feel a little bit better because I'm not saying you're little Christ now. There's a difference. I'm just preaching the Bible to you. But you have been anointed. You have been enchristed. The spirit of Jesus is alive on the inside of you, so you are now the body of Christ. You're his presence in the earth. You're his hands and his feet. You, you have to do that. You have to show that. You have to be a living epistle. You have to demonstrate this thing. I read a quote this week that shook me. It was D.L. Moody, who was a 20th century evangelist, turn of the early 20th century, who was a shoe salesman that God saved, and he shook the world with his evangelistic preaching. And he said this, out of 100 men, one will read the Bible, and 99 will read the Christian. Hear that. Out of 100 men, one will read the Bible and 99 will read the Christian. So that puts the onus on us. It puts the responsibility back on my back that I need to be walking what I'm talking. Come on, little Japanese preacher said, no walkie-walkie, no talkie-talkie. <laughs> that is such a bad preacher joke. And I love my Japanese brothers and sisters. Be mindful of your mouth. I just want to say that right here, number 10. <laughs> Okay, my wife is blowing me a kiss. K-I-S-S means keep it short, sweetheart. i got to wrap it up. Here we go. Um, it's too late for that, huh? Uh, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Uh, you know, you, you have all the things, that the fish on your car. Praise God for the fish on your car. Just don't flip the people off on 240 around the loop when they cut you off. I got so tickled one day because I did move in and cut somebody off and they came around honking and just gave me the Hawaiian finger of symbol of love and went on past me and had, they had two fish. They were doubly anointed. <laughs> and don't even look at me in that tone of voice because you know you wanted to even if you hadn't. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm offending people now. Don't fool yourself. Watch your actions. Control your mouth. Last verse and I'm finished. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Gosh, this is so, so powerful. I love, I love Eugene Peterson's message where he talks about the homeless, the loveless, and the godless. The orphans are the homeless. The widows are the loveless. And corruption in the world are how we relate to the godless and we need to have enough grace. We don't need to be afraid because light will always overcome darkness and good will always win over evil. Come on, somebody say amen. So last two points and I'm finished. Prove your theology by your sociology. Well, that sounds really academic. Pastor, what are you talking about? Prove your theology by your sociology. What that means is what I believe about God and whether or not I really love Him 
has a direct bearing on how I treat you. If I'm reaching up with the vertical bar of the cross to honor God, if my Christianity is legitimate and it shows the life of bearing a cross, I have to also reach out to my brothers and sisters in an outward reach and love those who love me and love those who don't love me. And I have to pray for those who use me and pray for my enemies and those who have hurt me. And I forgive not because they deserve it, but I forgive because God commands it. And I forgive because He has overwhelmingly forgiven me. And I owed so much that I could not pay. And He paid it for me. And out of gratitude, I say, God, I choose to walk in forgiveness and forgive and set free and, and, and deliver them, O oh God, from any offense and the log that I might keep because of the things that they have done against me. Oh, how my life has been set free when I've really, truly, not just preached forgiveness, but I've made the decision to actually do it. Oh, my goodness. Prove your theology by your sociology. Finally, number 12, and I'm finished. Action steps for pure religion. Love God by caring for the homeless, the loveless, and the godless. There's a little card in your seat. This is what we want to challenge you to do today. We... We are really growing in our hearts here at Victory to try to reach out and minister to needs in this community. We want to love the city. Don't you think for one minute when I jokingly said that I wouldn't have chosen here that I in any way think in a negative light. I know that I'm called here and I love this city and I want to produce and multiply that spirit in this whole church. We've had several years now where we've put several hundred coats on the backs of children whose families might not have been able to give them a new one in winter. We've, we've reached out to first responders and fed them and encouraged them and thanked them for doing what they do. We've, our, our Wired Youth Ministry gave 150 fans in the heat of July back a year or so ago in order to be able to minister to the, the impoverished in our community who might not be able to have enough money to keep the air conditioner running, especially for the elderly, maybe in their house their home, their trailer, wherever they were living. We, we, we gave out fans and knocked on doors and encouraged them and shared the gospel. We, we, we've put hundreds of full turkey dinners at Thanksgiving on the tables of people. And all those things we're going to increase and continue to do as a whole unified all-church outreach. And we support missionaries in several places. Micah's just the newest one on the list. But I want to say this to you. In January... All the stuff that you feel like that you need to wrestle with and, and do better, before you do all of that, I just want you just to step out of the grace and the generosity that's been poured out on you and, and do something, an act of kindness, randomly, just for somebody this week. And I believe the Holy Spirit will open your eyes and say, that's the one. Take this one card. We're not putting a handful in. We're not having obligation. We're not asking everybody to do 20 or 10 or 5. Just one. Just one act of kindness. The little card says something extra to show you that God loves you. You know what? You might, when you get your morning coffee at Starbucks, you might ask how much the, the bill is for the person behind you and had, had, hand this to the barista and say, give this to the person and tell them that I paid for theirs. I'm going to show them how much God loved them. Maybe, maybe you're in line at the grocery store and you were very blessed in 2013 and you see uh, a, a single mom that's struggling um, and, and maybe not have the benefit of, of government assistance. It happens more often than you realize. Sometimes it makes just enough to not qualify, but not enough to really make a good living. That happens so often, just falling through the cracks. Maybe, maybe buy that $25 or $30 worth of groceries and hand them the card. You know what? It's not about money. 
There's plenty of other things you can do just to show somebody how much God loves them. It may be taking this card and sliding it into an envelope and just writing a note anonymously and just saying, hey, listen, I'm praying for you. Or you want to put your name on it and say, I'm praying for you every day this week. I know what you're going through and God will provide. He will take care of you. It could just be a note of encouragement. It may be stepping across the street and helping an elderly lady with something that she needs around the house, a widow woman. Whatever it is, pure religion, the real thing, the legit stuff, it's concerned about orphans. It's, it's being willing that even if we can't go, and even if maybe we can't give, we're willing to say, Michael, we're going to pray for you on a regular basis. We're going to send you to these nations where he's going to minister to orphans in homes and widows who are loveless and a whole lot of godlessness that the grace of God is big enough to cover. But you know, I want to challenge you to get involved with us. You can be a missionary. You don't have to go to Africa to do this. You don't even have to go uh, to, across the river to Memphis to do this. You can do this in your neighborhood. You can do this at school tomorrow. You can do this in the cubicle. Whatever, whatever God prompts on your heart to just reach out to somebody, it may be cooking a meal, it may be an encouraging word, whatever it is, take this little card and just say, Father, I want to be a demonstration. I want to prove my theology much I love you by my sociology, how I'm treating everybody else in the society around me. I want to I care about what your heart breaks for. And guess what? If we'll deal with and care about what God's heart is broken for, He'll see to it that what your heart breaks for, your need gets met. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me this morning? Put your hands together. I'm finished today. And I have one little, little tiny section here I want you just to listen. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we close this service this morning in the first day of the year. This is a challenge. The Lord gave me this scripture this morning. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 30, and it's two verses, 19 and 20. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. 